0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God is good. I'm just thankful to be in his presence tonight. Is there anybody tonight that has a testimony? You know, God's been doing things. And, uh, you know, back in the day, there used to be a lot of Testimony services, from what I hear, and long ones too. Is there anybody that just has a quick testimony of something that God has done for them? Sister Fortune. Amen. God still heals. heals. Amen. God is so good. Yeah, I love hearing testimonies of, um, of, you know, when God moves on people's lives and touches their body. You know, there's a lot of times. I think God does a lot more for us than we even realize. I think there's a lot that happens that we just don't even see. Divine protection. I know the other day it kind of hit me a little bit. I, I think Shayla and Gracie were driving somewhere and, and Gracie spilled the beans and said, Shayla just about got into an accident. And uh, I don't think she was supposed to tell me, but right away I was like, well, good thing I, I prayed for you guys today. I prayed for my children, for divine protection. And I was just like, thank you, G. I believe God answered my prayer. So I think there's a lot that happens that we don't always see. And I'm thankful, thankful for the goodness and the mercies of God, the, the, surely the mercies of God. So follow us all the days of our lives, the goodness, goodness and mercies of God. Amen. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to continue our uh, chapter by chapter um, series through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to go through uh, chapter 6 tonight. Actually, you can be seated because we're gonna just continue to read, read through this verse by verse. Um, verse one. Um, again, we understand that just uh, by what we read in the first five chapters, that um, Paul was um, correcting the Corinthians with some of the things that they were dealing with. They were dealing with um, spiritual pride, and they were dealing. There was some um, sexual sin that they had been dealing with, idolatry. Um, tonight there's a, another thing that they were dealing with and Paul was going to correct that. In verse one it says, "Dare any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. So there was obviously some issues between the saints in the church um, at Corinth. they had they had problems amongst themselves, and this is uh, this is really never a good thing within a church when there is quarreling, when there is gossip, and there is slander. And in, in this point in the in, in the book, uh, uh, church at Corinth, they were actually suing each other. They were taking each other to court over things, and and Paul, the apostle Paul, was was very upset about this. He was upset. And how they handled it. And he starts this verse out, he says, dare any of you. He basically says, I cannot believe that you are doing this. And he was really um, just, he was just upset about it. And he was writing this letter to correct that issue. He says, you go to worldly judges, to the unjust, those who, aren't, uh, who are not justified in Christ. You're going to the world for your answers. It wasn't good. And, and we can take that and go a lot of different directions. It's never good to go to the world for your answers. The world doesn't have your answers. Amen? The kingdom of God, Jesus, is the answer. Okay? So we oftentimes, we get pulled in and, in uh, directions where we, we get persuaded that, that the world has our answers. That is, that is faulty. And uh, understand that this culture, it was a, a Greek culture, a heathen Greek culture. And, and from what I read, um, the culture in Corinth was very sue-happy. Um, probably just like our culture today. Where there was, the, you know, I, I was reading some t- statistics today where there's, there's literally over a million lawyers in our country. And there was like 12 million um, civil state lawyers. Um, lawsuits that happened in the last, like, uh, I think it was 12 months ending. So there's just a lot of, there's a sue-happy culture that we live in today. There's billboards that are, you know, trying to get you to call them. Um, They have a, they have a, they think they can help you out in suing somebody um, for money or for some certain situation. And it seems that everybody is a victim of something and, and is in a pursuit to make something right in our culture. That's exactly how it was in this Greek culture back in Corinth. But the church is not supposed to be a part of this sort of culture. Okay, And no doubt Paul was uh, concerned about the church's testimony. He was concerned about the church's reputation. And he says, dare any of you. I can't believe that you would do this. So we continue reading in verse 2, it says, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He, he reminded them, don't you know that the saints are going to judge the world? And we have a, there's other scriptures in the Bible that, that back this up. Matthew 12 and 28 says, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me, In the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So the saints of God are going to be the ones who judge the world, who sit on the throne with Christ and judge. And Revelation 3 and 21 says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. And I'm not exactly sure how this is all going to play out, but I do know um, that the saints of God are the ones who have overcome. And we will have more than just a seating arrangement on the throne with God, but we will also have authority to judge. That's what the Bible tells us. And Paul's like, you know, don't you know that you're going to judge saints? With God, you're going to sit on his throne and be a judge with him, and you can't even take care of these small matters in your church today. And Paul is making the point that we have this future promise, and we shouldn't have problems solving these small matters um, amongst us in our churches. In verse 3, he says, "'Know ye not that we shall judge angels.'" How much more things that pertain to this life? And there's several other verses that talk about judging angels. Second Peter 2 and 4 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Um, so we understand that these fallen angels will be judged and the saints of God will be a part of judging those angels. And it's the amazing part that isn't that angels will be judged, but that the church will be the ones doing it. That that's sort of amazing that we're gonna be the ones to judge the world and judge angels. And Paul was saying: if you're called to judge the world and called to judge angels in this life after, can't you even judge the simple things of this life? The small matters. In regards to the, the destiny of redeemed men and women, one man said this, he says, to one day be higher than the angels and to even sit in judgment of them must greatly annoy a certain high angel in heaven. He did not want to serve an inferior creature now and did not want that inferior creature to be raised up higher than, he, than even he. So he rebelled against God and is determined to keep as much of humanity as possible from sitting in judgment of himself. We can imagine the perverse, proud pleasure that Satan takes over every soul that goes to hell. He'll say to himself, they won't sit in judgment over me. That's kind of interesting. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that day of redemption and to spend eternity with Jesus, to see uh, Jesus face to face. And I think there's going to be things, you know, he went to prepare a place for us. And there's going to be things that I don't even, uh, I don't think we even know about yet. But there's going to be, we're going to sit on the throne with him. And we're going to judge the world and judge angels. I'm looking forward to that day of being with Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> In verse 4 it says, if if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, it says, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. And and basically what Paul was saying, he says, the least among you should be able to settle these matters. The least among you should be able to settle these matters, and these are simple things, and you're going to a worldly court instead. You're looking for the world for your answers, In verse 5, he says, I speak to your shame. He didn't mince any words. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. And understand that the Corinthians sort of had the reputation of thinking that they were so wise, that they had this great wisdom and we read about that in the earlier chapters of 1 Corinthians, but Paul asked them, isn't there anybody, isn't there even one wise man among you who could help you settle these matters? And I'll say this, if you, if you ask for counsel, and I believe that there's a time in, in, in a church where you know there might be something that happens and, and there needs to be an elder of the church sit down and help you, help you know, through the situation. Um, and if you ask for counsel and you receive the counsel, um, it's really best to listen to the counsel. <laughs> I've come to realize that people want counsel, but they don't want to listen to the counsel. And I, I, I say that, I, I want, you know, you want to help people, but if you ask for counsel, if you're asking for help, it's really best just to listen to the help. Can I get an amen? All right, thank you. Verse 6, but, uh, verse 6 says, But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. So brothers are going um, against another brother before the unbelievers. In verse 7, now therefore there is utterly a fault among you. It says, Because ye go to law one with another, why do ye not rather take wrong?" Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? That's a, that's a big question there. And again, Paul wasn't against um, taking legal action um, in certain situations. As a matter of fact, Paul appealed to the Roman courts for his Roman rights. Okay? So he took legal action. Um, and you know, and I say that, I think even then, outside of church, I think we need to be careful with taking legal action and not to be sue-happy. Um, I, I think that even in the secular business setting, it may sometimes be best just to suffer the losses. Um, and of course, this is depending on the situation, it's depending on the case. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, they, they say that a, that a skunk will always lose a fight with a badger. The badger will always win that fight. But the badger knows that the battle isn't worth the stink. Okay? Husbands, you can take that home with you as well. But it's the truth. There's some times where it's just not worth the stink. Um, And you can apply this to all sorts of different situations, whether it be in the church, whether it be in the business world, um, however, um, but sometimes it's just not worth it. At the, at the expense of your testimony and reputation, sometimes a battle in court isn't worth it. I know there's been times in, in business that, uh, you know, I, there's been times where I could have fought with a customer. Over a money situation, and I I could have won if we took it to court, but a lot of times it's just not worth the stink. It's just it's just better to say, even though you're you you do not think you're wrong, even though you think you handled everything correctly, sometimes it's just like all right, keep the money, we're done, um, and you move on. Okay, again, um, depending on the situation and the case, I'm not saying that. That, that's true for every instance. But I do know that we we shouldn't walk around so happy and, and quick to blame and quick to want to make everything right all the time. There's just some times where you just gotta let things go. But in this case, what Paul was talking about, brother against brother, sister against sister, this was absolutely unacceptable. How dare you, Paul asked? Okay, this is absolutely unacceptable. He said, wouldn't it be better just to be wrong? Wouldn't it be better just to be cheated? Wouldn't it be better just to count your losses? For the sake of your testimony, for the sake of unity, for the sake of peace in the church, wouldn't it be better just to say, okay, I'm letting it go, I might be wrong. I'm letting it go. And I think we can learn a lesson from this. I think this is something that, you know, not everything is going to be reconciled. There's just some times where it's okay to be like, all right, I've been cheated and that's life. Someone didn't treat me right, well, it's life. Because the truth of it is, is you probably at some point in life didn't treat somebody right. And you at some point in life probably... Cheated somebody. So sometimes can we just say, okay, for the sake of unity, for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of peace in the church, I'm letting it go. You know, the Bible, you know, Jesus talked about this in Matthew 5. He says, but I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. He says, if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat. He says, let him have thy cloak also. And Jesus talked about just sometimes you just turn the other cheek and let things go. And again, you know, we understand this isn't always for every situation. There's times where you have to go to court, there's times that things happen, things that need to be handled. But understand too that not every situation and every squabble in life will be solved. We'll be recompensed in your timing the way you think it should be. Of course, we want vengeance. Okay, we want things to be right. Every single one of us do. That's just that's in us. Like, you know, someone offends you, you want them to trip and fall. In our flesh, that's what we want. But Jesus said, just turn the other cheek. Just let it go. God knows. God knows the situation. He Jesus said, Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. I'm the judge. And a lot of times we want to be the judge. Sometimes I think that God allows these things to happen in our lives. I think there's sometimes where God allows us to be cheated, to see how we react. Um, He uses these situations, these troubles, if you will, for the trying of our faith and to help us mature. I believe God allows these things to happen. The Bible says, you know, tribulation worketh patience. Well, if you want, you pray for patience, (laughs) you pray for wisdom, you pray for these things. Well, you know, experience is the best teacher. And... Most of us learn best by experience. I know that's pretty much the only way I learn. It's the hard way, usually. I have some friends that just seem that they're always avoiding, you know, tribulations and trials. And I'm like, they're just quick learners. And I'm like, I I always have to learn the hard way. But the truth of it is, is experience is the best teacher. James 1 and 1 says, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into um, divers' temptations. When you fall into trouble, it says count it all joy. It says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It says, but let, let patience have her perfect work. In order to have patience. There has to be a situation that tries your patience. Okay, in order to, to have, in order for wisdom to work in your life, you need a situation in your life that allows for wisdom to work. <laughs> right? It's just like if you need. If we believe God's a, a healer. Well, in order for a healing to happen, someone first has to be sick. Amen? In verse 5 he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. So right in the middle of him talking about, you know, uh, your, your uh, faith, work with patience, and, you know, troubles coming upon your life, he has this verse here, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally. We, we quote this verse, just that line all the time. If you ask for wisdom, God's going to give it to you liberally. Right? So just that, it sounds pretty good. Like, I'm in prayer, God, I need wisdom. And all of a sudden, poof, like, I just get a bunch of wisdom. Like, it just floods me. Well, that's, that's truly not the case. That's really not how it works. He says, And upbraideth thee not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So, Situations and troubles come up in life so that wisdom can work, okay? If you want to build muscle, your muscle has to be stretched, okay? If you want to have patience, your your patience has to be tried. If you want wisdom, you're, there's going to be a hard situation come your way. And experience and, and, and yielding to the Holy Ghost in these situations is how you mature and grow. And I, I, I just, uh, I just believe that, that God sends these things sometimes because we pray for them. We ask for them. God, I want faith. Well, then you're going to be given a situation that the odds and the statistics are against you and you still believe because you want to have faith. Okay. Does that make sense? Our fleshly tendency, okay, and again talking about brothers against brothers, is to defend ourselves um, to the end and uh, explain, we want to explain away situations and why we did this and why we did that. And we do this even in in church situations. We do defend ourselves and, and understand that when you defend yourself, and I'm not, I, I think there's a time and a place where you do defend yourself, but... But in church situations, when you begin to defend yourself, you are most likely also making an accusation against your brother or sister. Okay? So if there's a situation that arises and you begin to defend yourself to everybody, at that same time as you defend yourself, you're also most likely making an, exa- an accusation against your fellow brother or sister. So we've got to be careful with these things that arise um, within the church, with problems within the church. And there's, this church is full of human beings and, and there's, things do arise and, and, and we just got to handle them correctly. The next, uh, the next verse is, Nay, ye do wrong and defraud in that your brethren. He said, instead you defraud your very own brethren. You are robbing the body of Christ of its testimony when you begin to defraud your brother or sister. You're causing great harm to the very thing that you should be trying to strengthen. So in an attempt to defend yourself in a situation, you're making accusations, you're defrauding your brother or sister and you're actually causing harm to the body of Christ. To the thing that you should be trying to strengthen. So when issues arise, it's not really about who's right and who's wrong. Okay? And I know that there's situations, there's church discipline, there's things that need to be handled. But understand that the whole purpose of... Uh, of the body of Christ is it to be is it to, to work together? So in a situation, it's not about who's right and who's wrong, and you know you know someone's pride being puffed up. That's not what it's about. But it's about the one who possibly was in who was in fault being restored. That's really what it's about. That should be your goal. If someone did something against you, your goal should not for you to to defend yourself but for that other person to be restored. Because they're part of the same body that you're a part of. So that person needs to be restored and handled with care and in a spiritual way. If the arm of the body is broken, we got to restore the arm back to health for the function of the body. Okay, if this arm is broken, it's, if, if my right arm is broken, it's not time for my left arm to glory in it. Although the left arm might have to pick up the slack a little bit. But the only reason the left arm would pick up slack is so that the right arm could be restored. Okay, so issues amongst each other are not about who's right and who's wrong. Okay? It's not about you being right and defending yourself, but it's about the body of Christ being restored so it can function as it should. So when you have that perspective in every situation and you, start, you, you put away the self-preservation, because that's, that's in our flesh. It's in me. Like, I have ego and pride. I, I pray about it all the time. Like, God, I don't want to be egotistical. I don't want to be full of pride. Okay, I'm just, I am just want to be thankful to be a part of the body of Christ. It's not about me being right and someone else being wrong. It's not about me glorying, okay, while well, the other arm is broken. But it's about the body functioning as it should. Can I get an amen? Man, I think Brother Chubby preached the other day about not having always to ask for amens. Amen. Verse 9 says, Know ye not. So Paul is talking about this, about brothers defrauding each other, taking each other to court. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. He's talking about homosexuality. He's talking about adulterers. Foreign. He's to he a bunch of a sexual sin here, idolaters. Those who put other things before God. He says, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, he says, shall inherit the kingdom of God. He says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul was saying, don't you know that the unrighteous aren't going to make it? And he basically is, he's reprimanding them for defrauding one another. He's basically saying, listen, your sin is right in here with these wicked sins. These things that uh, we've been called out of. He was listing these sins uh, 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 right with defrauding a brother or sister in Christ. He said, don't be deceived about it. He says, if these sins control your lives, there will be no inheritance for you. It's pretty straightforward. And then verse 11. We like verse 11. We're thankful for verse 11. And such were some of you. Amen? But you're washed. You've been sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit to of our God. He said, let this be a great reminder of who we are. He was talking to the saints in Corinth. He was reminding them of what God pulled them out of. He's reminding them of what he washed away and the new life that was given to them. And they were sort of uh, going back and, and struggling with these things that God had pulled them out of. He says, know ye not. And He says, and such were some of you. And interestingly enough, some of the sins listed um, are things that the world would define as incurable. You know, the world uh, would say, say that you're born that way. You can't really help that you have these feelings. You can't help that you have this addiction and there's no solution. So again, the world doesn't have your answer. Oftentimes, the world will just feed you a lie. But this gospel message... Amen. This gospel message changes people. Okay. The world says it's incurable and you were born that way. The word of God says in such were some of you. Okay. You've been cured. You've been healed. You've been changed. You've been made new. Amen. Paul was saying he called you into kingdom culture and out of the world's culture. You're washed. You're cleaned. Amen. you're sanctified, you're made to be holy now. You're justified. You were made right by the blood of Christ. And you were filled with the Spirit. And such were some of you. He was reminding them that God has done a great work. And you guys are sort of kind of falling back in to those old ways. In verse 12, he says, all things are lawful unto me. But all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And Paul was saying, listen, he says, you've been given a new freedom. All things are lawful unto me. You've been given a new freedom from sin. Okay, so when we were chained to the wall of sin, And I've used this analogy before, but we were literally chained to the wall of sin. We could not help it. Okay? We we sinned. We were born with this nature to sin. Well, through the gospel message, through death, burial, resurrection, baptism, repentance, and, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, right? These chains were broken. Okay? So we've been freed now from the wall of sin, from sin. And we've been freed to now we can live for him. Okay, we, we, we still have a, before we didn't have a choice, now we have a choice. Okay, be, before we were stuck to the wall, now we have a choice. So we have this freedom in him. And the Bible says that before we were servants of sin, okay, but now we're servants unto righteousness. So the right decision after you've been freed from that sin, is to n- now be a servant of God, to be a servant of righteousness. Okay, but We've been given this freedom to make that decision. I'm thankful for that. That's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, that those shackles were let loose in my life and, and I had this, this uh, freedom to live for God and to become a servant unto him. And Paul uses this phrase, um, you know, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. He uses it a couple times in Scripture, and uh, you know, we sometimes, you know, and, and there is such thing as Christian liberty. Like there's, uh, there's certain things that we're that we have a liberty in, and we can we make our own decisions and. And uh, an example would be in Colossians 2.16, Paul said, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of holy days or the new moon or the Sabbaths. So there are certain things that we have liberty in and there are certain preferences and maybe opinions that we have and, and that's okay. But in these things that we have liberty in, we have to make sure that we're not... Um, offending anybody else, um, he says, not all things are lawful. Or, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. And, and expedient means that uh, not not all things are advantageous. Just because you're uh, allowed to do them, doesn't mean you should. Okay, um, not, they don't contribute to to the kingdom. Okay, they're not profitable for the kingdom. You have the liberty to do it, but you probably shouldn't do it. And Paul, you know, used that example when talking about, you know, what we eat, what we drink, you know, what holy days we we celebrate, which ones we don't. Like you have liberty to make those own your own decisions, but we ought to be cognizant of our brothers and sisters around us. There are times where if I'm with somebody, um, and they, I know that they've maybe struggled with something in their past life. Um, I don't bring anything that even has anything to do with that up. Right? Because you don't want to be a stumbling block to them. But with somebody else who's maybe never, you know, struggled with that, you can have a conversation about that with somebody else. So we need to be cognizant of, of those around us. That in one setting, it might be okay. In another setting, it might not, it might not be expedient. It might not be advantageous. It might not contribute to the kingdom. And he says that we should not be under the power of any, and this really is what he's talking about in, in this context, that, uh, that we wouldn't be brought under the power of any. And, and we have to make sure that there are things in our lives that we have liberty to do, but we have to make sure that they're not controlling us. Okay? Okay. So just because it's okay to do them, um, sometimes these things can begin to control us. They can become an idol. Okay, there's certain things that I like to do. Okay, I like I like to fish, but I got to make sure that fishing doesn't become an idol. I, I have Christian liberty to go fishing. Like it's biblical to go fishing. <laughs> Amen but i got to make sure that fishing something i like to do doesn't control my time doesn't control my energy papa lara knows he's he's battled this before <laughs> amen so there's certain things like this that we just got to be careful with because we were freed from the power of satan okay and now we're free we got to make sure that we don't give in to the power of something else that's going to begin to control us. This is what Paul was talking about here. They were using this liberty for the things the Lord and Paul never intended it to be used for. Um, We don't have a liberty to sin, right? This Christian liberty doesn't liberate us to sin. And we, we move on in verse 13. He says, meats for the belly and belly for the meats, But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So the rest of these verses, the topic is fornication and sexual sin because it was something that this church really battled because we understand that there was this goddess of Aphrodite's there and, and there was these prostitutes and sexual sin in the Greek culture was just rampant, okay, as it is today. Like... As it is in America today. But they had this concept, this was the motto that the Christians live by that meats for the belly and belly for the meats, and and really what, what they were saying is we just do what feels good. They thought that, you know, my body wants food, so I eat. And I desire sex, so I go get a prostitute. That was their motto. That's what they were living by, and Paul was teaching against this. Um, and and they, they thought that since sex was a normal f- uh, physical function of the body, um, why wouldn't we use it as we please? That was their, their thinking. Um, this, and this was what Paul was preaching against in these scriptures. And, and I, we have to understand that God created the first man and the woman. Okay? He created this relationship so he has the right to tell us how to use this relationship. He has the right to, um, on how this is supposed to work out. Again, we have to understand, I had this conversation today in, uh, in a Bible study that, you know, he's the creator. We're the created. Okay? So, you know, what he says goes. Like, He created this relationship, and how he said it should be played out is how it should be played out. He created marriage. He created this relationship between a man and a woman, and that relationship should only be with a husband and a wife. Why? Because God said so, and he created it. So if he created it, his owner's manual matters. In his owner's manual, the Bible tells us that th- these sort of relationships are only to be with a husband and a wife. And that's why, uh, you know, we have a lot of, there's a lot of emotional hurt and abuse and that, those sort of things. Because we try to take these things that God made, and, and the topic here is sex, and we try to use it how we want to. Okay, that's what the world does. And then when when people are emotionally abused and, and there's hurt and there's pain, they wonder why. Well, they didn't use what God created the way that he meant it to be used. He's the creator and we're the created. Okay, and when a manufacturer manufactures something, they manufacture it to work a certain way. So as the user of it, how are, how are we, who are we to say that we should use it a different way than the manufacturer? Verse 14 says, And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid... Okay? Paul reminds them that they are part of the body of Christ, and they are not to be joined in a sexual relationship with anybody outside of marriage. And verse 16 says, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. That when you have these sort of relationships, you become one flesh. When you're joined to somebody in a sexual relationship, it's not just a physical transaction. There's more to it than that. There's an emotional transaction that happens. It involves the complete person and personality of the, of the, of the people doing these sort of things. One man said it like this. He said, sex outside of marriage is like a robber robbing a bank. He will get some things, but they are not his, and he eventually will pay for it someday. Sex within a marriage is like a man putting money in the bank. There is safety, security, and he will collect dividends. And that is the Bible way. And the Bible way works because God created it. Verse 17, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. In verse 18, says, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And again, there, there are sins where there's a sin of the, of the flesh and sin of the spirit. And, and Paul this was definitely a sin of the flesh because it, it affected everything, even the body. And, and Paul was saying here, listen, there's no such thing as casual sex. Um, that, that is, a, it's not in the Bible. It's not, it's not sanctioned by God. And since we belong to God in body, soul, and spirit, we are not to give any of ourselves to someone who is not authorized. One man said it like this, "Is In the heat of lustful passion, spiritual things may seem far away. Yet at the root of most lustful passion is the desire for love, acceptance, and adventure, all of which is far better and more completely satisfied in a one-spirit relationship with the Lord instead of with sexual immorality. Okay? God's way is better. God's way works. Verse 19, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? I love this verse that you're the temple of God, and ye are not your own. Okay, you're not the owner and you're not the occupant. You don't even own yourself. That really goes against our American culture. Don't tell me what to do, I'll follow my heart, I'll do what I want. God's saying, listen, in the next verse, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're no longer your own. You are God's. You are the property of Christ. He paid the price for you on Calvary. And I think as a general rule, and when you use someone else's property, you take better care of it, for the most part. So we understand that we don't even own ourselves. So we need to take care of this property because it's God's. We are not our own. God's the owner and the occupant. Spurgeon said it this way. You're, and he was talking about... Uh, well, we'll get into this. He says, your body was a willing horse when it was in the service of the devil. Let it not be a sluggish hack now that it draws the chariot of Christ. And I know the topic here was sexual sin and, and you know, we're not to... To, you know our bodies are the temple of God but this can be used in other applications as well. We ought to use these same principles and other things that, that this temple is the body of, of, of Christ. We should take care of it. That's why we don't believe in drugs and alcohol. We don't believe in, in gluttonous eating. I said it. We don't believe in gluttonous eating. No amens. I didn't think I would get one. <laughs> but it's in the Bible folks. We ought to take care of ourselves. And I'm not going to teach a health seminar. But gluttony is a sin. It is. We ought to take care of our bodies. We ought to use our time, the resources, our energy that God has given us. (laughs) Because we are the temple of God. This is the property of Christ. We ought to take care of it, we ought to use it for His purpose. (laughs) And what Spurgeon was saying here, he was like, listen, you guys, you guys live like devils in the world, okay? You guys were crazy, staying up all night, partying all night. Didn't need sleep in those days. But then you come to church and can't even stay awake during church, okay? I, I struggle staying awake in church. But I think we should use that same zeal and that, that energy, For Christ now. We can revert that energy. We did it for the devil and the world. Okay? Let's revert that energy. Let's take this body that he's now filled and use it for the kingdom. Amen? Use our time, our energy, um, and our bodies for the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? This is what Paul was talking about. Okay? Let's all stand tonight. I wonder if, we, in closing tonight, if we could just say a prayer together that, that God would just take us and mold us and, and make us, that we wouldn't be yoked together with worldly things, that we wouldn't go to the world for our answers, but that we would have a zeal and an energy for the kingdom of God. That we would take this property that he now owns, that he fills, okay, and um, commit it to the work of God. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy tonight. God, I pray that you would just touch every family in this place. God, every man, woman, and child, Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. God, we thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to this church, God, that we can read it today and we can still apply it to to our lives. God, we thank you, Lord, God, for all that you've done. God, we thank you for our purpose. God, we thank you, Lord, for washing us and cleansing us and sanctifying us. God, that we're justified today in your name, oh God. Lord, I pray that we would each and every single woman one of us would live according to your purpose. God, that we would take what you've given us, God, and use it for the kingdom, O God. In the name of Jesus, we thank you tonight. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed tonight. Be ready for, oh, I was going to mention, too, the Sunday the 9th.